0: Good morning, everyone. Let's try that again. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. There we go. That's a little better, a little better. Listen, I, I am so glad to have the opportunity to open God's Word with you today. Um, and as you just saw, we are back in the book of Revelation today. Um, but here's the incredible thing. I'll go ahead and give you a sneak peek. We're going to make a sprint to the end of the book of Revelation. So in the next few weeks, we will finish up Revelation chapters 19, 20, 21, and 22 Uh, And we are going to get to celebrate the fact that our God is good and that we made it all the way through the book of Revelation Which is an incredible feat. Uh, So congratulations. You did a good job. You've made it this far. We're going to keep going Uh, Today we're going to be in Revelation 19. So go ahead and turn there in your copy of the text Um, And as we're as we're making that that shift back into the book of Revelation, I want to Take a moment and just remind us of where we are in the book, okay? So, the last few chapters have been all about the judgment of God being poured out on evil in the world. We talked about how the last several chapters of Revelation, starting in chapter 17 and moving through to the end, we've called it, we've referred to it as the tale of two cities. You guys remember that? Tale of two cities, or we've talked about it as the the tale of two women, where we have Babylon and the great prostitute representing Satan and his kingdom of darkness. And we will see, beginning today, that we have Jerusalem and the bride as representatives of God and His kingdom of light. Specifically, over the last few weeks that we were in Revelation, we saw in chapter 18 the fall of Babylon and the death of the great prostitute. We saw those who had been seduced by the prostitute lamenting the fact that she was dead. And that they had lost all that she provided for them. We saw how they had idolized those things that she provided for them. And that they had placed the most importance on things that they were getting from the prostitute. We saw three groups singing songs of lament. We saw the, the kings singing their song of lament. We saw the merchants singing their songs of lament. We saw sailors singing a song of lament. And today... We're going to switch gears, and we're going to begin to see the positive side of this scene. Aren't you thankful for that? We get to move to a positive side of things. I'm very thankful for that. Uh, but what we're going to see in the first 10 verses of Revelation 19 is that there's a celebration of praise to God that begins for what He has done and for fulfilling His promises to His people. And there's one word that we're going to see repeated throughout these verses today, and that word Is hallelujah Hallelujah We'll talk about what that word means here in just a few minutes But it's it's really cool that we find this word here because Hallelujah is a word that's all throughout the old testament. We see it many times especially in the psalms There's lots of references and mentions of the word hallelujah But here in the book of revelation or in the new testament We only see the word hallelujah four times and all four of those times are here in our passage today So we're going to see those things the word hallelujah is very important in this passage. You've probably seen on your notes, if you have one of those note pages, uh, that hallelujah is going to be in all of our points today, but it's an important word. So follow along with me, and let's see why it's so important. I'm going to read Revelation chapter 19, starting in verse 1. It says this, After this, I heard what seemed to be the loud voice of a great multitude in heaven crying out, Hallelujah! Hallelujah! "'Salvation and glory and power belong to our God. "'For his judgments are true and just. "'For he has judged the great prostitute "'who corrupted the earth with her immorality "'and has avenged on her the blood of his servants. "'Once more they cried out, "'Hallelujah, the smoke from her goes up forever and ever. "'And the 24 elders and the four living creatures "'fell down and worshiped God who was seated on the throne, "'saying, Amen, hallelujah.'" And from the throne came a voice saying, Praise our God, all you His servants, you who fear Him, small and great. Verse 6 says, Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us rejoice and exalt and give Him the glory. For the marriage of the lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted to her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, "Write this: Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the lamb." And he said to me, "These are the true words of God." And I fell down at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, you must not do that. I'm a fellow servant with you and your brothers who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. God, we do worship you and praise you today. We cry hallelujah to your name. We praise you. And Lord, I pray that over the next few minutes you would open the eyes of our hearts that we might see you more clearly That we might know you better as we leave from this place today And that we might be challenged to live a life that glorifies your name. Lord, we love you Speak to us. We pray this in jesus name. Amen Amen Now there's three things in this passage that we're going to see And each time we see this word Hallelujah, it's going to be important for us now what's interesting in the book of Revelation is that it was originally written in the language of Greek The book of Revelation was originally written in Greek, but every time we see hallelujah Hallelujah is not a Greek word. That's an untranslated Hebrew word, right? So remember the majority of the Old Testament was written in Hebrew Majority of the New Testament was written in Greek And what we have here at the end of the New Testament is an untranslated Hebrew word It literally means praise the Lord or praise Yahweh It's a word that we find all throughout the Old Testament But today we see it here in the New Testament And one of the wonderful things to me about this passage Is that there have been so many bad things that have been talked about in Revelation So many judgments, so much um, anguish it seems But thank God that something good is finally being said here, right? So let's dig in and let's see what the Lord is being praised for The first thing that we see in this passage is hallelujah God saves through his judgment If you're taking notes, I'd encourage you to write that down hallelujah God saves through his judgment Now in verses 1 through 5, we see God's salvation being celebrated In fact, the first word that John hears is hallelujah And it's with an exclamation point at the end of it So it's not just well hallelujah, it's hallelujah our God is to be praised And this isn't just a quiet, reserved worship that's happening in heaven. It's loud, and it's enthusiastic. And we immediately find reasons why God is to be praised. There's six reasons that are given for why He should be praised. God's salvation, His glory, His power, His true and just judgments, His judgment of the prostitute, and for His avenging the blood of His servants— In judging Babylon and the great prostitute that we read about in chapter 18 in that judgment God has delivered his people and he has shown himself to be glorious and powerful and worthy of praise The victory that God has accomplished has come through his incredible power And the saints are now privileged to celebrate the truth of who God is all salvation and glory and power belong to God and to God alone but look at what verse 2 says. It explains more and more about why he is to be celebrated. All salvation and glory and power belong to God because all of his judgments are just and true. The, the judgment that God has placed on Babylon is in full accordance with his justice. Because you could look at this passage and say, it's kind of odd that they're celebrating the fact that this other civilization has fallen. But the reason that we can celebrate is because god has given the right judgment The saints can rejoice because they see that god has put everything right in the world The kingdom of the prostitute has been destroyed forever and the world can now enjoy peace and harmony That god had intended from the outset at creation Also the blood of the saints that's been spilled up to this point is now avenged God vindicates those who gave their lives for the sake of the Gospels. One of the great concerns of the entire book of Revelation is to show that God will ultimately vindicate those who are martyred for the sake of Christ. Those who have murdered the people of God are now receiving their just punishment. So we have this first hallelujah. But then in verse 3, we get the second hallelujah. In verse 3, John hears this hallelujah, and while the first cry celebrated God's truth and justice and salvation, the second cry celebrates that the prostitute is being punished fully. Not only is she being punished, but her judgment is irreversible. Because God lives forever and ever, his punishment will last forever and ever against Babylon. And this infinite display of God's rightness, of God's justice, of God's right judgments is worthy of our praise. God is worthy of our praise because he did what he said he was going to do. But here's the glorious thing. The worship here is not just limited to humans. In verse four, we get the third of our four hallelujahs. We see that the 24 elders and the four living creatures are adding their hallelujah and amen as well. Now, these 24 elders and these four living creatures, they've played a prominent role in the book so far. And they're around the throne, they're worshiping God, they're throwing their crowns at His feet. And this will be the last time that we see them in the book. And listen to what they do. They say, we agree with everything that's happening. Not that God needed their, uh, their, their uh, commendation of what He had done, but they're saying, we agree and hallelujah, praise God for doing what he said he was going to do. They are joining in the celebration of God's salvation through the judgment of Babylon and the great prostitute. So what we have here in these first three or first four verses of, um, of Revelation 19 is a corporate worship service. Now, do you guys realize that when we gather on Sunday mornings, this is corporate worship. This is what we do. We're the body gathered For corporate worship When you're by yourself out during the week That's private worship, individual worship A very, very important part Of who we are as followers of Christ But this is also another very important part When we gather on Sunday mornings We are the body, that's why it's corporate worship We gather as the body of Christ And in this worship service We see a worship leader Who is telling all the servants of God Those who fear Him To continue in worship Look at verse 5 He says, I heard heard from the throne a voice saying, Praise our God, all you his servants, you who fear him, both small and great. So the heavenly worship leader, the voice calling out from the throne, calls us all, both those present in this scene and us even now. The small and the great, the rich and the poor, male and female, young and old, we are all to praise God for who he is And for what he does The voice calls on those who fear God and this is the fear that we've Talked about several times as we've gone through the book Of revelation but it is a reverence Of God yes but it Is also the fear of The Lord knowing that he is the one who Ultimately judges and not A fear of Babylon and her Threats this is a message For us because it Asks for us as the saints of God Those who follow after Jesus To pray in hope That this vindication that we read about that's a future event that it will come to pass pray that it truly comes to pass We're still in the midst of the fray We still experience more suffering than triumph. Would you agree with that? In this world, we face a lot more suffering than triumph, but We can believe and know That the final triumph is guaranteed because Our almighty god will bring it to pass I want to ask you, this is the audience participation portion this morning. By a show of hands, have you seen injustice in the world? If you raise your hand, yes, you have seen injustice. Okay. By a show of hands, this is. you can raise your hand again. Have you seen the righteous punished and the wicked rewarded at times? Yeah, we've all experienced that. Have you seen instances in the world where christians are persecuted for trying to help people while those who set out to destroy life seem to be commended have we seen that yeah well let me encourage you with this that could look really dark it could look like there is no hope but we read right here in revelation 19 that there is hope there will come a day when god will set all things right we can trust him to do justice He will set all things right, he will avenge his servants, he will punish the wicked, and we can trust him, and because we can trust him, he is worthy of our praise. Our voices should be included in this great multitude that's described here in these verses. And we need images like this from Scripture, seared into our hearts and our minds, so that we know when we are tempted to sin, that God will overcome And we can trust in him. So when the world tempts us to go astray, let us remember this picture here of God's justice ultimately being poured out on evil and the righteous celebrating. So the first thing we see is that, hallelujah, God saves through his judgment. In verse six, we have a scene change that continues this celebration of who God is. The second thing we see in this passage is this, hallelujah, God reigns over all and takes his bride. Hallelujah, God reigns over all and takes his bride. Let me read this to you again. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God reigns, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. So, with the judgment of evil made complete, there's a wonderful new sight that John gets to take in. And here's what I think is incredible about this scene John does not see the marriage supper of the Lamb happening, he does not witness the feast taking place. John's vision is shaped not by what he sees, but by what he hears. This song sounds like the roar of rushing waters and mighty peals of thunder. And I have to, in my mind, the the closest thing that I can come up with is picture the sound of when the home team is behind and they score to go ahead at the last second. Does everybody know that feeling of just the exuberant celebration of, right? Like, we just, we're going to win. There's no way for them to come back, right? Right. Can you imagine the sound of celebration that John must have heard in this moment? The joy that must have filled John's heart as he hears cries of victory and celebration. That clearly didn't move you guys as much as it moved me. This is the ultimate reward. This is the thing we're all looking forward to. Amen. Thank you. This is what we are waiting to hear, the final hallelujah. And we find here in verse 6, the final hallelujah in the Bible, in verse 6. And the reason for this praise is that the Lord is almighty, and he reigns over all things. So the previous three hallelujahs that we saw in this passage, they all looked back to the destruction of Babylon. But this fourth one, this one points forward to anticipate the coming wedding of the Lamb. Off the top of your head, does anybody know what Matthew 6.10 says? Just shout it out if you know it. Anybody know what Matthew 6.10 says? It says this, Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. It's the middle of uh, the Lord's prayers. Jesus is commanding his people how to pray. This is the answer to that prayer that Jesus prayed. The kingdom has come. God's will is being done on earth as it is in heaven. That's what we're celebrating right here. And so this is definitely an occasion for celebration. It's definitely a time to rejoice and exalt and to glorify God because the marriage supper of the Lamb is finally at hand. And you can hear the excitement and the gladness in this angel's voice as he speaks. The wedding of the Lamb represents the consummation of God's purpose in history And it shows his desire to be in a relationship with humanity. The reward of remaining faithful is participation in the wedding. Never has there been a bigger celebration. Never has there been a greater party. At last, the church gets to be with her God, God, united for all eternity. It says also that the bride has made herself ready. And I think we have to stop here for just a second and ask the question, how do we, as the bride of Christ, if we are followers of Christ, members of the church, we are the bride of Christ. So how is it that we make ourselves ready for that day? Well, I love how Danny Aiken phrases his response to this question. He says this, The bride prepares herself by remaining faithful to Christ in a fallen and evil world, the bride prepares herself by enduring hardship in the midst of suffering. The bride prepares herself by trusting God in the face of martyrdom. And the bride prepares herself by obeying God to take the gospel to all tribes, languages, people, and nations. Now you may think, goodness gracious, Jason, that sounds like a lot. I can't do all of that. And you would be right. You cannot do that on your own. But the glorious truth is that God doesn't expect you to do it on your own. There are two things that are said of how the bride is dressed in this passage. First, the fine linen, the way that she is prepared for this this marriage, the fine linen is given to her by God. The goodness and the readiness of the bride is a gift from God. It's not a result of any inherent value in the bride, but rather it is given to her by God. And secondly, the bride's fine clothing stands for the good deeds that she does with her life. John says that the the fine linen represents the righteous deeds of the saints. And so this fine clothing stands in stark contrast to the fine linen that we read about the prostitute of Babylon wearing in chapter 18. Because it stood for her luxury and her debauchery. But rather than wealth and luxury, the righteous deeds of the saints are the result of God's work In the life of the bride So throughout history Every holy attitude, every good deed Every work of righteousness Was prompted by God's grace And has been woven into This fine linen that the bride Now wears So we must remain faithful To follow after God and trust in Him Through anything that the world may Throw our way We can trust in the Lord To give us the faith that we need To stay true to Him He will give it to us if we ask the final thing that we see in this passage is hallelujah god invites us to celebrate hallelujah god invites us to celebrate so john is again commanded to write something down and it's that those who are invited to the marriage supper of the lamb are blessed by god now while the church as a whole is the bride of christ individual individual christians are the guests that are invited to participate in the wedding supper god is in control of all things remember he's almighty and he rules over all and he gives fine clothing to the bride and he invites whom he wishes to the celebration and imagine the truth of the fact that no feast compares to this feast and the joy at this supper cannot be compared to any joy that we experience on earth. This is the most anticipated feast and the most anticipated marriage that will ever happen. And the promises are so great and so stunning and so different from anything that John knows on earth that the angel has to even reassure him that these words are true. These are the words of God, the angel says, and they are true. They will become a reality one day. And John is so overwhelmed and so overcome by what he hears that he falls down at the angel's feet and he worships. Now, I have a really vivid imagination. Um, So in my mind, this scene plays out a little more colorfully than what is simply written here in Scripture. I, I have to think that the angel's saying, you know, these words are true. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the... John, what are you doing? Get up, Goober. You can't worship me. I'm a fellow follower of God with you. What? Get up, right? You can't do this. You follow and worship God and God alone. I'm following him just like you are. Don't worship me. Worship only God. This angel points John and us back to God. As Christians, we are people who are God-centered. He alone is worthy of our worship and praise. And as he lives... We live lives that glorify Him only. So how do we respond to a passage like this? Well, honestly, the the coming joy that is promised in both the Lamb's marriage to the bride and the marriage supper is really more than we can digest and take in. We have no frame of reference for what we're reading about here. But every joy that we experience on earth, every wedding, every feast... They serve to point us to the most anticipated wedding and the most anticipated feast that we possibly could imagine. I think maybe this is why I love to go to weddings so much. I mean, yes, I like cake, but also weddings are beautiful, right? And they're a shadow of what we're going to get to experience. I think this may be why I love Thanksgiving. It's my favorite meal of the year because it's a feast and it points to what we're going to get to experience one day, right? So these are both shadows of the reality to come that we get to experience as followers of Christ. Think about the joy that that scene will hold. There will be more laughter, more joy, more celebration than has ever existed. The celebration will be unstained by sin and sorrow or worry. Death will be a distant memory, and we'll get to rejoice with our God forever more and I don't know about you but that gets me pumped up that we will get to experience a day where we are not hindered by the things that hinder us now we will get to experience a day when we get to celebrate an unending joy unending happiness because we get to be with our creator that's right hallelujah indeed But here's the thing. We have to prepare ourselves for that day. What we do right now is we follow Jesus so that we can enjoy this coming wedding, that we can enjoy this coming feast. We must trust in the Lord. We must ask Him for the faith that we need to follow after Him. Why would you not live for the Lord knowing that this is the reward that is to come? Theologian James Hamilton sums this up pretty well, and he says this. He asks the question, What do you stand to lose if you live to follow the prostitute instead of the bride? You lose freedom, joy, love, intimacy, hope, purity, innocence, and most devastating of all, you lose the very thing that you were made for, knowing and worshiping God. You lose the bridegroom. You lose Jesus. So let's begin today to live to follow after our Savior, the great bridegroom, Jesus. And let's allow this passage in Revelation 19 to both encourage us with the great reward of the marriage to the Lamb and the joyful celebration of the feast that is to come, and let's also let it challenge us To live lives of preparation for that day through trusting in all that Jesus has taught us and by living it out in righteous deeds and works in our lives through Christ. Our worship team is gonna come now and we're gonna respond together in worship. But here's what I'd love for us to do. Don't let this just be another song. This is not just a transition time where we get to get up and get out of here and get to go eat. Don't get me wrong, I'm hungry too, my stomach's growling. But let's not miss what God is saying to us right now. We have the opportunity to celebrate now what's waiting for us in the future. And so today, let's take that opportunity to celebrate. Don't sing this next song like it's a funeral dirge. Let's sing this song with celebration and anticipation of the fact that we've been set free as followers of Christ. The chains of sin are not on us anymore. And so we can celebrate the goodness and the grace of our God, who doesn't take bad people and make them good. He takes dead people and makes us alive in Christ. So let's stand together. I'm going to pray for us, and then let's respond in worship.